Welcome to the Journal.ie Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, the return to power sharing at Stormont. What happened in the week that was of Northern Irish politics? Well, last week we discussed the idea that power sharing in the north of Ireland could be coming to an end, with multiple talks to restore the executive reaching incomplete conclusions. But this week, after nearly two years of Stormont being dissolved, DUP leader Geoffrey Donaldson announced that the party's executive had come to an agreement and voted in favour of restoring the power sharing arrangement in Northern Ireland. Now, with endless cycles of discussions now over, what made everything change this week and what are we likely to see in the coming months? To answer these questions and much more today, we're once again joined by Brian Rowan, the BBC's former Belfast correspondent and author and journalist. Brian, thanks so much for joining us again today. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. So, Brian, with so much changing in such a short amount of time, can you tell our listeners what exactly has changed since we spoke to you last week? So our politics moves at kind of marathon pace and then it sprints. That's the kind of how a negotiation works in this place. Uh, You know, Peter Robinson spoke recently using the snooker analogy that in negotiation, you don't have to clear the table in in one visit. And we're lucky for that because Jeffrey Donaldson plays more like Dennis Taylor than Hurricane Higgins. He he plays at his pace, moves at his pace. And I think uh, he wanted the fine detail of this settled uh, before he would take it to his party this week. I think the big moment, Laura, was when the UK government set a deadline of February the 8th. And for people here watching this and who have watched it over many years, that suggested one of two things. Either Jeffrey Donaldson had nodded at the UK government that, give me two weeks, I'm nearly there. Or the UK government had told him, uh, two weeks and that's it. You know, we've got, we've got other things to be getting on with. So we're not shocked here. That's the way it works in this place. Uh, you know, three years of jogging on the spot and then, and then they run like Usain Bolt. So um, that's what we've been watching this week. And huge relief that there is movement, uh, albeit very, very late in the day, as you say. And as part of the arrangement then, Brian, the DUP and the United Kingdom's government settled these trade routes. Can you give us an indication mm. of what was agreed? It's all very complicated, but for, 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 the, for the DUP, what was important in this was that the, the sea border, the post-Brexit trading arrangements, that that sea border would be eliminated. And, uh, you know, Jeffrey Donaldson is saying it's gone. Others are saying it's disguised. What I think it does mean is that there will be a, a, a reduction in checks, not as much paperwork, um, but the idea that it has just gone to become not the green lane, but the red, white and blue lane. Um, you, you know, some people think that's just too much and too good to believe. You know, I can't believe it's butter. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those people will hear the various political spins on it. They will hear and read the, 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 the documents. But I think what's important to people, Laura, is how it will actually work beyond this politicking of this weekend. I was chatting with someone this morning who'd been speaking to a couple of uh, traders. They've been looking at what's been said, reading what's been published. And for them, you, you know, the jury's out. You, you know, if it works better for them, fair and well and fair and good. Uh, but their test of that will be not not what is said today or tomorrow or instalment on Saturday or the beginning of next week politically, but how they see the sea border operate um, uh, beyond beyond the politics of, of this week. And as I say, that jury is still out. 
Yeah, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors really with it all, Brian, isn't there? And I know you mentioned the border there, but there's a lot of talk too about the seven requirements that the DUP wanted to get this over the line. Does it look like they got what they wanted here? Well, seven tests become seven hooks, Laura, you know, and when you hang impossible political demands on those hooks, then you've got this challenge of how you get off them. And this is this is not the first time this has happened in this place. You know, I can remember the demands from the DUP for visual proof of decommissioning. Didn't happen. I remember arguing that out with Peter Robinson. You know, he was convinced it would. Um, uh, I, was, I was telling him that's not what I was hearing. So, uh, you, you know, a negotiation is not just about what you want. And, and we've got to remember that for 30 years, the two main parties of this place now, all they had to do was condemn each other. And now they've got to find a way to to work with each other. And there's this talk around this place, you know, that a peace process and the accompanying political process can take 50 years. Well, if that's if that's how long it takes, we're only halfway there. And uh, but in that first half, that 25 years, uh, our politics has struggled more often than it has worked. Yeah, it really is the politics of peace that's difficult now since the Good Friday Agreement. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Making Stormont work now. It does seem, Brian, that the DUP in a lot of ways has ticked some of the boxes, but it's a case that they have to wait and see how it plays out in reality now, as you say. With this agreement in place now, will it fit well with others in the DUP and even in wider unionism? How is the party shaping up after this deal? Well, well, there is no doubt that they've made progress. Laura, absolutely no doubt about that. Nobody is saying they've achieved nothing. Uh, have they um, achieved the perfect out- outcome to seven tests? That's not how negotiation works. So I think, you, you know, we've listened to Jeffrey Donaldson selling this yesterday to his deputy leader, Gavin Robinson, on radio this morning. And, and what they're doing is they're challenging their critics to publish their achievements. So they're saying our achievements are now published. Let's see yours. And in one of those interviews uh, yesterday, Jeffrey Donaldson held up a blank sheet. And he's directing that towards Jim Allister. You know, okay, there's a lot of noise on the outside of this. And negotiation is about the noise outside, but it's also about the reality inside. Uh, And no negotiation in the course of this process has ever delivered for anyone everything that they were looking for. I remember David Irvine, the late David Irvine, saying that uh, in a negotiation, you don't leave your opponent without their bus fare home. So you get some, you have to give some. Uh, and Jeffrey Donaldson is not painting this as the, the perfect outcome. He's making that very clear. But he is saying we have made significant progress. And he now believes that inside Stormont and inside a government and inside an executive, there is the prospect of achieving more. Look, outside his party and inside his party, there are people who will always say no. And what's the mood music like then in that respect, Brian? Is Jeffrey Donaldson likely to bring other unionists with him now or are they saying, no, you're on your own, you've gone too far? Well, I know this week that he's been out in a wider conversation. He met the Loyalist Communities Council, the Loyalist paramilitary leadership. Uh, I don't know a lot, a lot about the inside uh, conversation of that meeting, but I am told he got a fair hearing. Uh, And I heard Gavin Robinson saying this morning, that in their conversations outside of the party, um, one words, uh, one word he said sums it up. He, he, he used the word surprise, pleasantly surprised at how they're being encouraged. So I think in all of this, Laura, the big challenge was who needs Stormont most? 
And the unionist political parties need Stormont more than Sinn Féin needs Stormont. And I think in the last couple of weeks, people had begun to switch off. The government, the UK government, had devoted so much time to this place. And Sinn Féin and the other parties, the SDLP and the Lance, the Ulster Unionists, had been hanging around that shell of a parliament waiting for a decision to be made. So I, I think, you know, Donaldson knows that um, a good day's work has been done, uh, but that this stuff is always a work in progress. So it's a bit like maybe Donaldson and unionism in itself had run out of road here. Is that, do you mm. think there's a, in terms of back channeling and what usually happens in these, uh, was there a sense that Rishi Sunak was going no further? There must have been something there. Well, I think that's the moment in every negotiation when, when you realise that what's on the table is all you're going to get. And, and the talk for weeks now is the deal in its substance had been settled. So Chris Eaton-Harris, the NI Secretary of State, has been the, the face and the voice of this negotiation for the UK government. A former Secretary of State, Julian Smith, who led the last rescue mission in 2020, has been a very significant player in the background of all of this and is seen as the link to Sunak. And when you think of Rishi Sunak at the moment, you, you know, his leadership being questioned within his party, the panic within his party in terms of the upcoming general election, all of the international commitments. And they've spent two years trying to sort out Northern Ireland. Uh, so I think there was a very clear message delivered when that deadline of February the 8th was sent uh, as far as then and no further. And Brian, I guess if we move away from politics a little, how has all of this sat with mm. the public? We can't underestimate the view of thousands of people out protesting mm. in Belfast in recent weeks as well. Now, earlier this week, we had a piece which reflected, I guess, a mixed reaction to the announcement. What are you sensing there on the ground? Well, look, I, I think the mood among people um, is just get on with your work, make the decisions. I get stopped in the street all the time, Laura, by people who want to talk about politics. No one, and I mean no one, has ever stopped me to talk to me about the sea border. I walk along that seafront every day. Some days the water's green, some days it's brown, sometimes it's grey, some days it's blue. Does any of that say to me we're any closer to unity or any further away from the union? No, it doesn't, because that constitutional arrangement is in the Good Friday Agreement. The need for consent, a majority here, majority in the South, and nothing's going to change until that changes. So the sea border was turned into this constitutional crisis rather than an inevitable post-Brexit trading arrangement. And what somebody said to me this morning was that they're hearing this deal being oversold at the moment by the British, by Jeffrey Donaldson, and they say that's a consequence of overselling the problem. You know, if you make the problem the constitutional crisis, then, of course, you need the moon and the sun and the stars to get you off that hook. So, uh, you, you know, people are allowing Jeffrey Donaldson and the UK government a bit of space at the moment as they sell this deal. Uh, but someone said to me this morning, there's a difference between holding your nose and having your nose rubbed in the dirt. So patience is running out with this. Uh, you, you know, there is all of this stuff about the union and the commentary of now, but come Saturday, when Michelle O'Neill becomes first minister, then that's going to become the new story of this place and a, and a further indication of how the politics of here is changing. 
And Brian, when you talk about the language this week around the DUP protecting the union, selling this deal, and as you say, being given the space to do that. But we can't really talk about what happened this week without touching on the extraordinary and surreal colour from within the DUP meeting itself. We have to look at what happened with this wire. First of all, can you outline for us what exactly did happen and whether anyone is likely to face sanction within the DUP over this? Well, so as the meeting was happening, um, we were getting a live feed on X uh, from the loyalist uh, blogger, Jimmy Bryson. Someone inside the meeting was feeding him the information. I think in many senses, Laura, that has backfired. And it has actually worked for Donaldson that, you know, that someone would go to those uh, methods and means to get a story out. Now, I've been around numerous negotiations. They try to soundproof them all the time. And in each negotiation, I've had to shop with a different basket as I've tried to find a document or more detail and, and so on and so forth. So politics without leaks is like Easter without an egg. You, 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 you know, leaks come with politics, but this took things to a different level. But I, I actually think that Donaldson has batted that away as it happened. Uh, I'm not sure he wants that to become the big story and the big consequence for someone within his party, that what he wants to do at this stage is get this deal done, see that the legislation goes through the House today, go into that leaders' meeting tomorrow, uh, set up the sequence for Saturday, get on with things. And quite often, you know, Laura, the hardest part in in all of this is making the decision. And once you've made the decision, very rarely does the roof cave in. The odd slate might fall off. I don't sense Ulster at the crossroads. You know, there was that bit of noise earlier in the week, that feed on, on X. Maybe a hundred or so protesters outside the venue where the DUP were meeting. Donaldson and, and his deputy, Gavin Robinson, are saying that the vote was decisive. They haven't told us what it was. But I think given that, you, you know, he had a slim majority within his officer team, that if he had a slim majority only on Monday, I'm not sure Donaldson would have taken these next steps. So I, I think he's in a better place than the noise suggests. So, Brian, plenty of colour earlier in the week and a lot of grandstanding now, as you say, waving a blank sheets of paper and selling the deal and all this kind of stuff. And along comes Stormont now on Saturday. So we've had Michelle O'Neill, Sinn Féin and other parties on one side saying we have to get back to work. Unions have been out on the streets protesting. There are a lot of challenges in the north now and the DUP finally coming to the table. So how does it all play out? Well, so the talk is that we get all of those ministerial appointments by Saturday, that we could have a first executive meeting by Monday. The place is in a mess, Laura. You know, um, when people talk about our broken politics, they often forget about what's broken underneath it. And under the broken stormant, you know, we've had talk of policing crisis, crisis in the health system, crisis in our education, 170,000 workers on strike over public sector pay. So those are the issues that really matter to people. And if we're simply putting Stormont back for the sake of putting Stormont back for it to fall down again, then that's no cheers from me. And, and it'll be no cheers from many people. This time, it's got to demonstrate that it can do the work of normal government. Because too often, Laura, our politics becomes 
a rerun, particularly when it's in difficulty or when it's in standoff. It becomes a rerun of the past where, where, where politics and politicians throw these bricks in their glass houses. You know, so it will, it will only be welcomed if, as it develops over the next number of weeks and months, people begin to see a difference in their pockets, uh, in, in support for schools, um, for all of the reform that's needed within health, uh, for the money that policing needs to, to operate. So there is alongside the stuff that's been happening around the post-Brexit trading arrangements, there is on the table from the UK government, dependent on uh, an executive being back in place, a financial package uh, of uh, beyond £3 billion at this stage to pay the public sector workers, to help transform uh, public services, uh, and to clear an overspend that was in um, the uh, the executive budget. And can the Northern Ireland voters have any confidence that Stormont is up for the task? Is it, is, does it happen from Saturday? That's it. Stormont is up and running and we see changes within a few months. I lost that confidence a long time ago. And, and my view was after the last time that it was put together in 2020, which was a joint effort, not just Julian Smith, the then Secretary of State, but Simon Coveney, not in joint authority, but in joint work and joint effort, producing a joint agreement on the Stormont Hill in that freezing cold night in, in January 2020. So my view at that stage was that if it failed again, it should fail forever. It's had too many chances. You know, for, for 10 of the past 25 years, the executive has been down. For five of the past seven years, we've had no government. And we've normalized all of that and, and normalized the absurd in, in all of that. And, and if, if the political achievement of now is simply that we've got Stormont back together again, that's, that's not good enough. I, I think we need a major review of why politics has failed in so many of the years of the past 25, why we haven't been able to address the legacy question, why we've got all of these creaking services underneath our politics. And if we're not serious about trying to do that, then we're not serious at all. Is there a sense, Brian, that the public have, have lost patience as well, that maybe there was a sense of tolerance after the Good Friday Agreement because it was seen to be so new, but really we've reached, we've reached the end of the road there? Yeah, well, well, look, you know, people want devolved government. In, in most places, you want people of you doing your politics. But, it, but if they're not doing the politics and if the politics is not working, then what really people want is decisions. So if Chris Heaton-Harris, the Secretary of State, had made the money available for public sector pay in the last couple of weeks, none of those workers were going to say, God, we wish we'd got that money from Stormont and not from London. You, you, you know, so really, really what people want is not Stormont as a building and as a pantomime parliament. They want it as a place that works and functions and sets an example at that high level of politics that then finds its way down to the ground. Quite often here, the example is on the ground and is pushed, is pushed up the hill to Stormont rather than the other way around. So, so people are fed up. Um, they've switched off. They've got, they've got other things to worry about. And many people, Laura, in this place understand that all of these difficulties associated with the last couple of years begin with Brexit and the Brexit vote and the Brexit referendum, which did not have majority support in Northern Ireland. And as a consequence of that Brexit decision, the sea border emerges from that, uh, the protocol, the Windsor framework, all of the negotiation of the last couple of years. And it's a tough lesson 
that politics is not just about what you want, but what comes with it. Well, this is it, isn't it? When you talk about changes to the sea border, Brian, it's such a nebulous concept, isn't it? Trying to sell the information around this, even to explain it. And of course, Brexit didn't just happen to Britain and Northern Ireland, it happened to all of Europe. So what are the implications for the EU and Ireland on the back of this deal this week, especially when it comes to border trade? Well, I think I think that is all of that. We've got political words at this stage, you know, and I can remember the Good Friday Agreement, uh, Laura, and I've listened to, I don't know how many negotiations here where one side interprets it one way and another interprets it another way, and it's like night and day. So will you see a difference and will I see a difference in all that's been played out in the background? Probably not, you know, and, and I think uh, I go back to what those two traders said to someone who was chatting to me this morning. We'll judge it on what happens from here. If it works better for us, great. But as I say, the jury is out on that. But for for Jeffrey Donaldson, having used the term constitutional crisis in reference to the sea border, of course, to have a win in in a negotiation now, he's got to say that border has has gone. Let's, you know, others very skeptical about all of that. I, I used that term that was used, I think, in the newsletter editorial this morning, that it hasn't gone. It's been disguised. Jim Allister is very loud about it still being there. Sammy Wilson is is loud about the the, the posts still being in the ports, so uh, it's not over yet. Uh, we're 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 in a stage now where we're going to get stormed back together again. Will these arguments end after that, Laura? No, they won't. <laughs> you know, no, they won't. That's not the way this place works and doesn't work. Finally, Brian, there'll be plenty of political theatre, no doubt, on Saturday. Uh, history being made by Michelle O'Neill, for starters. Is Jeffrey Donaldson now comfortable with the idea of being Deputy First Minister? Well, in this place, titles matter. So it's always been a joint office. It's always been an office of equals. But titles matter. And, uh, and First Minister sounds a lot better than Deputy First Minister. Doesn't mean you're the deputy to the First Minister. But when you're first minister, it matters. And and the DUP made that matter in elections, you know, saying, if you don't vote for us, if the unionist votes split, we're going to have a Sinn Féin first minister and so on and so forth. I, I think it's another indicator, Laura, of um, how the road has changed since Brexit. 2017, unionists lose their overall majority in the Assembly. 2019, Two of their big hitting MPs, Nigel Dodds and uh, Emma Little Pengelly, lose their seats. They don't win North Down, which they expected to win. It was a day of reckoning, if you like, for Brexit. Uh, Naomi Long won a European seat, which was normally won by by a unionist. 2022, Sinn Féin emerged as the largest uh, party at Stormont, now the largest party in local government, and now the first minister. And 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 for 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 unionism, this is quite a moment in terms of the change and how they cope with all of that. Well, thanks so much again, Brian, for going through all of this really important stuff from the week that was. And a lot has changed, I can see, but a lot more to be done, as they say. And uh, we'll be covering it on The Journal in the coming weeks. Thanks so much again. Thank you, Laura, for having me on. Thank you. Thanks again to Brian Roan for joining us today. You've been listening to the Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by producer Moira Shakar Rule and executive producer Sinead the Carroll. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. 